Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Wizard Apprentice Podcast. I'm your host, Seth, and welcome to this episode of Monster Manager, where we do deep dives into lore, combat, and stats of managers from D&D. Question of the day is, how can I incorporate zombies and skeletons into my D&D campaign? But first, let me tell you about what you're listening to. The Wizard Apprentice Podcast is designed for players and DMs alike to get short, informational, and purposeful talks to help make D&D more enjoyable and smooth. With talks from world building, character creation, practical guides on monsters, and much more, we are dedicated to improving your game. So again, the question of the day is, how can I incorporate zombies and skeletons into my D&D campaigns? Happy Thanksgiving from wherever you are. I just want to get that out of the way really quick. I'm recording this on Thanksgiving Day. Um, Happy Thanksgiving to you and your family, and I hope that there's a lot of things that you are grateful for. I know that I'm grateful for a lot of things. I'm grateful for... (laughs) D and D, I'm thankful for a fun hobby. Uh, I'm thankful for my family and friends and all of those good things. So, undead, zombies and skeletons. Zombies and skeletons hold a dear, dear place in my heart because the first combat encounter I ever ran was a horde of zombies and skeletons. The first time ever, the first time I ever rolled initiative. I was controlling a ton of zombies and a ton of skeletons, and it sucked. (laughs) It was so bad, but it was a lot of fun, and we had a great time. I love undead creatures. There's just something about it. There's just something about the, it's just, I just think they're neat, you know? I think it's from all the undead media, the shows and the games where all the zombies are. I think that stuff's really cool. So, I love these creatures, And we're going to talk about what they look like in the monster manual and how we can incorporate zombies and skeletons into our campaigns. And guys, I'm going to be real with you. The monster manual does not do these creatures justice. It does not do them justice. It talks about them. They exist. They have stat blocks, but man, they are, they, I, they are sorely mistaken copies for what they could be. And so today we're going to talk about what we can do to change up zombies and skeletons from the regular stat blocks in the monster manual and how we can incorporate that into our games. So that's all we got for the preface. Let's go ahead and dive on in zombies found on page 315 of the monster manual. They are once living creatures, not once living humanoids, not once living elves or dwarves, but creatures, which means that a zombie you could reanimate something into a zombie, even if it is not just a humanoid. Undead. So zombie panthers, zombie bears, zombie ogres, beholder zombies. They give a couple of examples in the monster manual. They give regular humanoid zombies, ogre zombies, and beholder zombies. And that's cool. I dig it. That's neat. But there's so much possibility for things you can do with a zombie. Um, Because now, the way they describe it is that there is a necromantic energy or a, a dark sinister energy that has flooded into this corpse and brought it back. And so now it lives in undeath, living between life and death in this weird, awkward balance, right? And so we get that cool, it, like it's magic that forms it. It's not the virus that we're all accustomed to. There's some sinister necromantic energy that brought it back. The zombies serve a master that has summoned them 
or they are stirred by an ambient magic that maybe lied on a battlefield that they had they had been dwelling on for decades or centuries and they were eventually just stirred up and left lifeless standing there. A zombie remembers nothing from their past life, not a single bit. And, and, and that being said, a zombie's mental awareness is the closest thing you could get to mindlessness. They can follow orders. Um, if you say zombie, stand there, it'll march over and it'll stand there. But that's it, 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 it'll attack anything on sight. Any living creature, a zombie will will surge itself after. They walk with this like their, their walk is like sluggish and, and kind of it jerks around a little bit. They're like twitching and it's it they're they're bloated and there's pus and it's gross and it smells bad. It's super uh, zombies are so gross, <laughs> but that's that's so cool. I dig it. Um, and so zombies because they are the closest thing to mindlessness that you can get besides being able to follow orders. They don't adapt very well into in any situation because if i say zombie i need you to guard this door that zombie's going to stand in front of that door and if something approaches it it's going to walk up to it and try and eat it because <laughs> you know zombie whatever it's funny the actual zombie stat block doesn't actually have a bite it just has a slam which just effectively means the zombie's throwing itself against a creature uh, but we'll get into its stat block in a minute they do not adapt well to combat so if it is fighting, let's say that there's two people that come up and one guy with a shield goes, here, zombie, zombie, zombie. The zombie's going to it's gonna walk over to him and try and hit him. He just takes the dodge action. The other guy walks around behind the zombie and opens the door and walks on through and gets the golden leaves, right? Zombie's not doing very hot guarding it. But the threat with zombies is that they come in hordes most of the time. You don't really have just three zombies lying around. It's normally, hey, there's a ton of zombies in this room. Oh, shoot, we got to take them out. Um, man, they just, they're just so underutilized. They're just so underutilized. Now, granted, they're just a dude. <laughs> it's just a zombie, but a dude. Um, they, to, to kind of capitalize on this mindlessness, um, they are oblivious to any and all routes to an enemy except the straight line to them. And they'll fall into rivers, traps, fire, magma, acid. They'll fall into pits. They'll fall out of windows. You name it. If they zombie... See something it wants to eat, it will just walk straight towards it without any regard to its safety or if there's anything else in front of it. So if there's a tree stump, it's gonna it's gonna hit the ground, it's gonna roll, it's gonna stand back up very sluggishly and kind of start marching its way over. So again, very stupid. <laughs> you can definitely take advantage of a zombie's mindlessness, um, but that is kind of shadowed out if they're in hordes. Um, a lot of zombies, if there's just a amalgamation of 40 zombies in a street, it doesn't matter if one of them gets fall, like falls over and gets trampled on because there's 39 more of them. <laughs> you still have a lot to chew through. Let's talk about their stat blocks. Zombies don't have a high AC. They have a little bit of HP, and they have an okay attack. Beyond that, they have one neat ability called Undead Fortitude, where if an attack would reduce them to zero HP, they make a constitution saving throw equal to five plus the damage taken. Unless the damage is radiant or from a critical hit, um, if they pass, they drop to one HP instead. So that's neat. That's cool. It's, it's an ability like, like, uh, like in zombie media, if I shoot a zombie in the shoulder, it just kind of, Argh! and it looks back at me. I didn't kill it. I shoot it again in the chest. Argh! And it looks back at me. I didn't kill it. it that's kind of like the go for the head mentality, right? This undead fortitude that is kind of keeping this thing up and surging it forward. Even after being 
riddled with attacks and eventually one good shot to the head and it goes down or some holy radiant damage brings it down. That's neat. That's cool. But that's it. That's it, man. That's all they have. And so it's it's a bummer. And so here's what we're going to do. I want you to think for a moment. What is the coolest thing about zombies in zombie media, games, shows, whatever? Think about it for a second. For me, it's the infection. It's the virus, right? So normally in zombie media, a zombie is infected with something. They're they're walkers. They're they're infected. They're bloaters, whatever you want to call them. And it transmits through a bite. And then the other person gets infected and then they turn into a zombie, right? Think of 28 days later, Call of Duty zombies, you name it. That's that's normally what happens. But in D&D, because it's a necromantic magic, that's probably why they don't have any infection. But that's not cool. We want an infection. We want something super cool like that. So the homebrew rule of the day, the house rule of the day is I have created a zombie virus that you can infect your players with. Yay! <laughs> um, while it doesn't necessarily pose a significant problem for a D&D party, it definitely poses a serious problem for the average commoner, which means that if a couple wandering zombies get into a, a place, into a city, that could spell serious trouble. So let's break it down. This is called the sickening rot. It's an ability you can stick on any zombie you want, and to the, again, to the party, it's not really much more than a pest, but it is an actual threat to the commoners. It can be very life-threatening. If you are bit by a zombie, you roll a constitution saving throw equal to 8, plus the proficiency bonus of the zombie, plus the constitution modifier of the zombie. So for a regular zombie, it's a DC 13 constitution save. You roll it. On a success, you were not infected. You're fine. On a failure, you enter stage 1 of the sickening rot. Every 24 hours, you'll roll another constitution save. If you fail, you move on to the next stage. If you pass, you stay on that stage, and the DC goes up by one for the rest of the duration. If you pass three times before hitting the final stage, you are no longer infected with the sickening rot. So you can fight it off. If you buckle down and you pass your con saves, you can just kind of tough it out. Other ways to deal with the sickening rot, an effect like lesser restoration that cures a poison, or an effect like lay on hands that can clear ailments like that and conditions, allows you to remake the saving throw with advantage. Passing this check, is one of those three uh, if you pass it it counts as one of those three checks um you won't you won't have to roll for the next day and it counts as one of the three checks you need to succeed for this for this effect to go away so if you have lesser restoration hit that on with you roll the roll the save with advantage and you're good to go here are the five stages of the sickening rot Stage one, purple bruising around the bite mark. It's itchy and it's filled with pus, but there's no inherent penalty to the character. So you are just, it's just more of a feature like, oh shoot, I'm bit and it's, it's infected. Um, but beyond that, there's nothing that necessarily happens. Stage two, high fever and sweating. Um, all this is compounding. So not only is there the high fever and sweating, but also the bruising and the itching and the, and the pus. Uh, and all these will compound as it goes. Um, so high fever, Sweating, weak in the arms and legs, and you begin to shiver. You begin to shiver. Your movement speed is reduced by 10. That stays with you for the rest of this. Um, stage three, your eyes become cloudy and your mind is foggy. It becomes more difficult to distinguish who is who and where you are. And your nose begins to pick up on the smell of meat more easily. You have a penalty to all mental saving throws, so intelligence, wisdom, charisma, by 1d4 every time you roll. 
and a minus three to passive perception. So now we're starting to get to that that like in between, right? Like you are you are still considered a living creature, but now it, everything's hazy, everything's foggy. It's everything's a little confusing. Someone says, "Hey, let's go," and you what? What? Hold on, I, I, I what? Everything kind of starts to slow down um, as your mind is kind of beginning to be eaten away. Stage four, you begin to crave nothing but meat, and you must actively fight yourself to keep you from biting at creatures within five feet of you. Whenever you begin your turn, if there's a creature within five feet of you, you need to make a wisdom saving throw equal to the DC that you're rolling for the scarlet, uh, for the sickening rot. Almost said scarlet rot. There's your Elden Ring reference for the day. Sickening rot. So... Let's say the DC, let's say I passed it once. It was a DC 13 ounce of 14. If I'm at stage four, that means that to keep myself from biting people, I need to make a wisdom saving throw equal to DC 14. But don't forget that you have a D4 you subtract from every mental saving throw you make. So it's a DC 14 check and you roll D4 and you subtract it. Let's say you roll that D4. Oh, now I got a, I got a minus two on it. So now I have to roll a DC 14. I have a minus two on it. No fun. And the final stage if you get to stage five, you gain the undead fortitude feature. You are now considered an undead. You lose all sense of self and you are no longer in control as a sickening rot has finally taken over. So the quickest this can go is it's a five-day ordeal. So over the course of five days, your body just dilapidates. Some stronger people can hold it off and some people can even live like they can live and beat it and they can survive it. But the mortality rate is high. Just stick that on a couple zombies, bro. Dude, that is a great way to incorporate something that is for the party. Oh, oh, shoot. Oh, I'm infected with something? Uh-oh. They figure out how to deal with it, and it's not a big deal. But it's a cool, it's a fun mechanic that you can stick on literally any zombie. And depending on how strong that zombie is, let's take an ogre zombie, for example. God forbid an ogre zombie bites you. Even though the zombie and the ogre zombie don't have any bite attack, I would just flavor one of their attacks as biting you. So the ogre zombie bites you. That is no longer a, that's no longer a DC 13. That's a DC 14 saving throw. So the stronger the zombie, the worse it is for you. A beholder zombie is also a DC 14. Uh, in case you're wondering if you threw that on that, if you really, really want to ruin somebody's day and have them fight a beholder, that's also a zombie that also infects you with the sickening rot. So take the sickening rot, put it in your campaigns. Do whatever you want with that information as you will. So, that zombies. Throw on the sickening rot, and they immediately become more recognizable to the average, to the average commoner, the average goer that enjoys zombie media and then looks at that and goes, wait, these skeletons don't do anything. Oh, now they do. Now they do. Congratulations. And you're welcome. Now, skeletons. I have a soft spot for skeletons. I have a soft spot for all undead creatures, but skeletons are awesome. We're going to get into why. They're found on page 272 of the Monster Manual. Similar to zombies, skeletons are summoned by necromantic energy, either by a certain person casting a spell or by ambient necrotic magic. So whether it's someone that is calling them forth from their tombs or they were abandoned on a battlefield centuries ago and just the sinister uh, forces and evil nature of the battle rose them from the grave um they are they are a little different from zombies we'll figure out why in a second but similarly similarly to zombies 
uh, skeletons can take the form of any creature, not just a humanoid. Other examples of skeletons shown in the Monster Manual, besides the humanoid skeleton, is a warhorse skeleton and a minotaur skeleton. That's cool. That's tight. Uh, the problem is, is that the only thing that these skeletons can do is attack, which might make sense at first glance, but we're going to learn a little bit about our skeleton friends. So, they can be anything, any type of creature, not just a humanoid, but, you know, wolf, wolf skeletons, uh, leopard skeletons, whatever you want. Um, they are obedient servants and have no sense of self-preservation. However, they are not necessarily mindless like their zombie friends. They have the smallest semblance of understanding and can follow requests if they understand it. They can even respond by shaking their head, nodding their head, or by pointing. They have the ability to fight with weapons and wear armor, and they can even do more complex tasks. You might be asking, Seth, what kind of what kind of complex tasks can a skeleton do? They can form shield walls, operate trebuchets, catapults, can dump boiling oil. Those are all examples put in the monster manual. But this is this is the this is the really important part. They must receive careful instruction on how to do so. Do you know what that means? A skeleton can learn a skill. A skeleton can learn how to do something if they are taught, which means that if a necromancer has someone set some time aside with a skeleton, they can teach them how to wield weapons better. They can teach them how to defend themselves or how to operate operate a trebuchet. Can you imagine a, a group of six skeletons operating a trebuchet? One of them gets stuck on it and it fires the, fires the thing and the, the skeleton comes flying with it. That's hilarious and it's really cool. The skeletons operating heavy machinery, forklift certified. Let's go. So they can learn. And here's what we're going to be doing about skeletons. I'm going to talk about their regular stat block, talk about some interesting things, interest, interesting things with that. Goodness gracious. And then I'm going to be revealing something pretty neat about the Wizard Apprentice podcast. Okay. First thing, talk their stats. For a regular skeleton, they have a 13 armor class, 13 HP. They have their highest stat besides their constitution for being an undead is their dexterity, which means that they're using finesse weapons. So things like short swords and short bows. Um, they have a decent attack modifier with a plus four. And on average, they're dealing five damage either at range or melee with a short sword or short bow. Um, they can understand languages they knew in life, but they cannot speak. They have immunity to poison, similar to their zombies. Um, but they have vulnerability to bludgeoning damage, which makes sense because if I were made of bones and I got hit with a sledgehammer, it would hurt really, really bad. But that's it for skeletons. That's all. That's all that's on the stat block. The others, the other skeletons don't have much either. Um, yeah, they don't have hardly anything. The only things that's different is the type of attack they can make and what it does. Um, the Minotaur has an ability called Charge, which allows it to deal extra damage on in a on a gore attack if it basically puts its horns down and runs at somebody, but it's all about attacking. But we just learned that skeletons can learn. Skeletons can develop new skills and new things that they can do so long as someone teaches them. If they receive instruction, they are able to learn. And so, as we learn about this, the Wizard Apprentice podcast adapts, and we change, and we grow, and I, Seth, am revealing to you the Wizard Apprentice Podcast Monster Manager Homebrew Creatures Document. If you follow us on Instagram, we have a group of links on our Instagram page. One of them now 
is a Google Doc that you have the link to the Google Doc that I'm going to be weekly adding a new stat block to as we talk about creatures. So we're talking about dragons. Boom, there's a new dragon in there. Today we're talking about skeletons. Boom, there's a skeleton in there and so on and so forth. Every week we'll be updating it with a new stat block and I'll be talking about it. So right now for the rest of the episode, I'm going to be breaking down the skeleton hollow squire. And we're going to be talk, breaking that down. Again, the reason that I'm doing this is because skeletons can learn. And so I'm going to capitalize on this because the monster the monster manual didn't. This is what D&D is all about, guys. We are adaptable. We're going to change up how, as we learn information, DMs, we change up our plans all the time. I'm sure I know I do. And so we're going to talk about what's called a skeleton hollow squire. A carefully selected skeleton from a horde of flesh and bone is set aside. Taught to properly wield a weapon and a shield is fashioned to their other arm, they learn not only how to fight, but how to lead. A semblance of tactics and guidance instilled in these lifeless bones, now sent to keep small teens of skeletons in check. A hollow squire will grind its teeth or strike its sword to its shield and can pull an undead force out from its grave and into the thick of combat. So why did I create this? Well, as we learned that skeletons have the ability to be taught things, uh, I immediately thought of a skeleton who was more intelligent than the average the average undead and was able to, in a sense, command the other undead around them. That allowed um, that allowed for maybe there to be more the, the more important assets to a necromancer are able to go out and do other things, but a couple of skeleton hollow squires are kind of set to keep groups in charge. And so I made this stat block with the idea that a hollow squire skeleton is going to be surrounded by a group of average skeletons. And that way it's able to kind of lead and direct them and guide them as it learned these skills. So let's talk about them. They have a 16 armor class. They have a leather armor and shield. Um, They have 32 hit points. So that's a lot more than the average one. They have the same vulnerabilities and immunities. So bludgeoning hurts really bad. Poison hurts none. (laughs) Uh, they can speak all the language. Uh, they can understand languages that new in life, but it cannot speak. And then here's here's its uh, here's its actions. It can make a multi attack with a short sword. It has no range weapon, so it uh, makes a melee attack with its short sword. It can do two attacks, plus five to hit. Does one d six plus three damage. They have a plus three in their dexterity modifier. Um, so first thing is that they're more proficient with their weapon, which I think makes sense. If I if a, if I see a skeleton survive two combats. I'm going to invest in that skeleton. (laughs) That is leadership potential. I'm going to pull them aside. I'm going to teach them skills and how to defend themselves. And now this skeleton is able to kind of do and tussle a little bit more than its, its undead counterparts. Then this is the big ability called March of the Dead. Once a day as an action, the skeleton hollow squire can select three allies within 30 feet to use their reaction. Upon using their reaction, each of them can do one of the following three things. March, the creature can use its movement speed as part of their reaction. Strike, the creature can make a melee weapon attack against a creature within melee range. Or Brace, the creature gains a plus two to their armor class against the next attack to the creature. So, while that doesn't seem like a lot, for a lower level party, seeing a skeleton clash its shield against or its sword against its shield and then three skeletons surge forward towards them even though it's not their turn, that's really cool. I think, dang, that's awesome. Rather than having to use the dash action, they're going to walk forward 30 feet on their reaction. On their turn, they're going to use 30 feet of movement, and now they're within range to make a melee attack. 
How awesome is that? So the Skeleton Hollow Squire, its stat block is available on the Wizard Apprentice Podcast Instagram where you can check out its, um, its link in the bio. But beyond that, that's, that's it. Not necessarily because I don't want to keep talking about them, but because that's all that there is for them. Besides a Minotaur Skeleton and a Warhorse Skeleton and a Beholder Zombie and a Ogre Zombie, which ultimately are just are just the Warhorse and Minotaur, but flavored as Skeletons. They have less HP and they have the same attacks. A Minotaur Skeleton has a Great Axe and it can gore with its horns. A Warhorse has hooves. A ogre zombie has a morning star and the beholder has its death or its uh, like eyes of death that have all the different abilities. And then they all have undead fortitude if they're zombies. But it doesn't really change how you'd operate them. They just do different things. They just do the same thing, but they have different stats. So I feel like underutilized is the right word for our zombie and skeleton friends. So I encourage you guys... Um, my encouragement to you is this, is that you guys can get creative about how you incorporate zombies and skeletons into your campaigns. Um, you guys, I'm responsive on Instagram. If you guys want to talk game, you guys want to talk, how can I incorporate these things? Or I have this idea or how could I create the stat block? I, um, I'm willing to sit down and figure it out with you. Like we can, we can figure it out. So I encourage you to think creatively and think outside the box on how you can incorporate undead into your campaign but that's it thank you guys so much for listening to the wizard apprentice podcast and this episode of monster manager i've been your host seth follow us on instagram at the wizard apprentice podcast uh, where you can find that link to that document in our bio thank you so much for listening and we will see you guys next time.